Has anyone put a hex on you? Damned your soul? No. I, I mean, recently I was likened to the harlot of Babylon. Oh, yes, totally. Um, yeah, no, the, the harlot wouldn't technically be allowed into heaven, no. Oh. Okay, well, that figures, so, mm -hmm. yeah, that's it. I don't even know how to begin this. I'm so fucking excited. Okay, so what happened to me was... I woke up at 7 a.m. this morning because I wake up at 7 a.m. every morning now unintentionally. And from 7 a.m. until uh, 10.30, I watched Riverdale and it was the best three and a half hours. It was so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what happened to me is that I got COVID again. <laughs> you re may remember multiple months ago, but not that many episodes ago, when we recorded an episode where I sound like shit and I said, oh, I just had COVID. Well, I got COVID again. Uh, I, uh, I don't know. I'm not God's favorite. <laughs> yeah, that, when you told me that, I was like, damn, you're really getting bullied. Yeah. This is how creator is treating his favorite. <laughs> anyway, I'm Olivia. And I'm Marisa. And this is Marisa and Olivia's weird fantasy. We have a truly giddy energy about us. Yeah, because, well, so Olivia woke up at 7 a.m. to finish Riverdale. It's season six of Riverdale. While I watched, I would say most, if not all, of the rest of the season yesterday. And I, like, started at very early in the day because I was like I'm gonna rewatch all of a certain plot line which we'll get into <laughs> I'm so excited um I'm going to rewatch all of a certain plot line and then I was like no I really just want to finish it but then I wound up like staying up until very late as evidenced by my texts to Olivia <laughs> The, the text that Maurice and I've been sending each other. So Maurice has sent me approximately 30 texts between yeah. the hours of for my for my time, 11 30 p.m. through 3 a.m. <laughs> and I yeah, sent a little earlier for me, but that's fair. I, I will say uh, around 30 texts between 7 a.m. to 10 30 a.m. Yeah, which for me was like what 5 a.m like <laughs> mm -hmm. we just we covered the whole night yeah yeah so we finished season six this has been we've been sitting on this for so fucking long because there are so many things that we've wanted to talk about like have special episodes on but that we need to wait to explain season six to you for because this has just been I think maybe the most perfect season of Riverdale to date. I I know. I was so I reread like the plot summary of every episode because here's what I'll say. So I loved Rivervale, which is technically the first five episodes. We've already covered that season yeah. five and a half slash six. But it's very um, important to season six. Like yes, which I didn't expect. Yeah, they treated it like a one-off. And like they're they're so smart. They're so smart. No, I was like, they've connected all of the dots yeah. beautifully, perfectly. But so I going back through and like reading what happens in every episode, I was like, there are, there is one episode that I would think was mid and the rest of it, I think was, which is the fog. Yeah. Yeah. The fog was fine. The fog was I fine. We ended it being like, that was fine. Every other episode made me feel insane in a way that was so good. 
I mean, the you know, I've been on this pod before saying, oh, I don't think I could watch Riverdale without watching it, like with Olivia, with my friends. Ha ha ha. I, I take it back. Like I've been watching this alone, sitting in my bed, surrounded by tissues and like squealing out loud, like literally laughing out loud at the ridiculousness of how happy this makes me. It's okay. We need to just get into it because the yeah. the last the last four episodes are so insanely good. Like every line is so good, but we have to start at the beginning. Okay, so where we left you guys uh, in the real world of Riverdale, not Rivervale, was that there was a bomb under Archie and Betty's bed while they're making out in bed. But in Rivervale, then they're like, oh, we're gonna like, I don't know, separate the worlds. And Jughead, as as Ethel later says, wait, I wrote it down. You called your ex-girlfriend? That's why there are fissures between the universes. Oh, I knew you called her. You warned her, didn't you? Damn it, Jughead. That's why there wasn't a clean break. You called your ex-girlfriend. That's why there are fissures rifts seepage between universes that's why we have supernatural power and it's why percival crossed over from riverfell that phone call compromised everything also <laughs> i like that like n- not to get into this because who cares but like i understand that jughead has betty's number but how does he have alternate universe i betty know how did he know he was calling alternate universe betty you dial like nine <laughs> You dial like stars 60. So Jughead called them. So Betty and Archie are able to get out in time. He doesn't warn his version of himself. So he gets a little fucked. This is something I think we'll have a larger disability episode. Deaf Jughead drops, but they kind of do a bad job with that plot line. Like I think that they handle that in a way that is not great in terms of representing deafness and disability we can talk later about how like there really is kind of a I don't know there's an interesting thing to be said for like combining the idea of disability with superpowers that Mm -hmm. there are like complementary superpowers like metaphorical or literal in this world that go along with different disabilities like that can be an interesting idea and like uh interesting sci-fi way to think about disability but I do think that and we'll talk about this in our future episodes it seems from the last couple episodes like they're also kind of engaging with this like the politics of cure as some might call it which because it would work if what happens later is that Jughead regains his hearing completely And so I feel like that is this weird erasure of it where like, even if they hadn't fully done that, it would be more justified. Cause also the way that like queerness and superpowers are tied to some extent, specifically when we get into lesbian Veronica long con. Oh, the lesbian Veronica long con. This season was so good to us. This season, sorry, none of this is going to be coherent, but it's just that this season made me love Veronica. I literally have gained so much love for Veronica and we'll get into it. It's because she becomes a lonely fucking praying mantis. And I love Mm -hmm. that. Like that is exactly the Veronica I've always wanted. Okay. Okay, Back to the plot. Back to the plot. 
So Jughead is deaf. And at first it's not completely, but then it really starts to go. And Tabitha is kind of taking care of him. They're going to the hospital. He first notices because he gets tinnitus. And like, that would be very common after an explosion. And it's frustrating because he doesn't tell any of his friends for like, he doesn't even tell Tabitha for like an episode. She's confused as to why he's like not responding when she says things. And I'm always just like, Jughead, ask for help. But like, what's happening is that people are basically like, how the fuck did you guys not die? (laughs) They go and look at Archie's house and they are like, and Archie's like, me and Betty hid under this table and everything is destroyed. So they're like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then Betty sees an aura around an, a male orderly and it's like red and it, she's like that's bad vibes I feel like this guy was up to something and then later you find out he sure was up to something because they found a nurse dead in the like alley behind the hospital but here's what I will say is this so this is all happening in the episode unbelievable which is chapter 106 mm-hmm. no 101 Chapter 101, it's the sixth episode of the sixth season, technically, but it's the first episode of Riverdale, not Rivervale. And Cheryl does something that is so genius in how she's like framing the entire new season is basically there's like weird shit going on and her and Britta start like casting some spell. And Britta basically is like, do we believe in spells now? Which is a a fair question from Britta. She's like, do we believe in curses, Mistress Cheryl? And Cheryl perfectly just justifies exactly what is going on. Mistress Blossom, do we now believe in magic and curses? I believe a new age of wonderment is upon us. A new age of wonderment is upon us. And like, again, I also love Cheryl this season in general, like Cheryl and Veronica, people in general who I don't love, but this season, they're really doing it for me. Cheryl, like that is such a good line and it justifies it so well. Also, the thing that's interesting about this episode is it's very unclear where the lines of River Vale and Riverdale are. And so Abigail, who was introduced in River Vale and had taken over Cheryl's body in River Vale consistently, is also now present in Riverdale and they're like trying to do exorcisms and then Nana Rose is like, we're keeping her around and puts her back in Cheryl's body. And Britta is kind of trying to help Cheryl escape. But it's also funny because like in this episode, basically Nana Rose is like trying to preserve Abigail's spirit and like keep her and she's doing, it's so funny. Cheryl's like, all these bad things are happening to my friends, i.e. the explosion that happened in their house. Perhaps when I read that curse upon their ancestors out loud, it reenacted it, obviously. Cheryl's like, I was fucking around with witch shit and I guess it worked, lol. And Nana Rose is like, oh, whatever could have happened. And then she's like, so like, where'd you put that curse? And she's like, I burned it. And it's so funny because she's doing such a, like, they're doing that thing where they don't trust the audience to understand that someone's lying. And so it's like the worst acting ever where she's like literally like, 
looking off to the side like covering her mouth like oops but then of course they still have to like explain it to the audience they're like well so what's been happening is that nana rose actually wanted it's so funny it's so good and then the other important thing that happens in this episode is this fucking ugly british man pulls up to archie andrew's house with molly ringwald there and is like i'd like to buy the house Ooh, percival pickens Percival Pickens, descendant of Augustus Pickens, famous colonizer that we already hate, that we already decapitated his statue in a piece of political protest. Enemy of the pod. (laughs) And then Archie's like, he's like, I'm trying to buy your house. Molly Ringwald kind of thinks about it. And Archie's like, mom, sell it to me, please. And I'm like, okay yeah this feels like something you guys could work out I also will say that he's like I'll buy your house in its current state and it's like a husk of a house and so I think it's valid of Molly Ringwald to consider that offer yeah but Archie's like obviously I'm part of the soul of the town and this house is part of that so we can't sell it also so that's the end of that episode Then the next thing that's happening is Archie and Betty both are realizing that, like, obviously they're different since the explosion happened. They, at first, are not really talking to each other about it. They're just kind of doing fuck shit on their own. Trying to, like, figure out the extent of their powers. And then Um, they finally talk about it. And we get a perfect line from Archie that we've discussed on the show again, but... Betty, I'm getting heavier. Denser. Also invulnerable. I love him. <laughs> I love him so much. And then Betty and Archie are like, we're gonna be the like weirdest little couple. And they're like, she's like pretending to stab him, and she's like putting his hand in like a little cranky thing. And yeah, they she's go trying to like him. meat tenderize his hand. <laughs> and he's just like, ha, I'm good. <laughs> It's so perfect. This is the best that Betty and Archie have ever been, is like them just trying to fuck around with each other's powers. Yeah, and then also happening is TBK. Still kind of relevant. TBK is the funniest plotline because, skipping ahead a little bit, Betty kills TBK and we don't find out who he was. It was just a random person that didn't matter at all. Like that is the resolution of the TBK plotline. Honestly, so, I feel like we can just skip talking about the TVK plotline in general, other than it's it's something that's kind of happening consistently. And there's there's one fun part where they have a serial killer convention that we can talk a little bit more about. But like the resolution of the TVK plotline is truly like Betty is being like, I'm evil and bad stuff happened to me when tbk trapped me which is like yeah that's fair and then everyone around her is like i don't know man i've done way worse things than you (laughs) there's an incredible scene where oh because something that happens in this season is that veronica finally puts out a hit on her dad and her dad is killed and i mean thank god (laughs) it's needed to happen for so long Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I feel like in terms of um, male adults in the show that I hate, it's like, so Hiram finally dead, but then we have to deal with Frank all the time, Archie's uncle, who's a piece of shit. Yeah. But still less annoying because he gets less screen time. Yeah, and like, there's less of an inexplicable, like, we're supposed to care about him so much. 
So while Archie and Betty are, you know, honing and realizing their superpowers, poor little Jughead goes home with Tabitha, doesn't really tell her what the extent of what happened. And so like, he is struggling. Our, our boy is like traumatized and not just not talking about it with Tabitha, which is so frustrating to watch. Um, but then finally, like the supportive girlfriend she is, she takes him to the hospital, even though in the first scene of this first episode, he uh, reveals that he does not have the insurance to go to the hospital, which is also like, I'm glad that they included that moment of realism for our characters. Like, yes, they're developing superpowers, but Jughead doesn't want to go to the hospital because he doesn't have insurance. Um, <laughs> Poor Jughead. So he doesn't want to go to the hospital, but he eventually does. And they tell him basically he's completely deaf in both of his ears. He's like 98% in one, 86% in the other. And like, it's, it's pretty devastating because like, it's all these little things that he's like, oh, like, I always listen to music when I write and now I feel super stumped. And like, what if I never get to like, laugh with Tabitha again it's hard I know it's uh, and then he he thinks he hears Tabitha but then he realizes that he actually can just read her mind and not hear her but he also doesn't tell her that at first like at first he's just kind of acting like he can hear but it's weird I'm like how did you get away with this for even two seconds because she's sitting on the couch silent thinking to herself I wonder if I left the stove on at Pops. And then he's like, I can hear her. So he turns around he's like, did you say something? She's like, no. And then she goes back to reading her thing. She's like, okay, I think I turned the stove off, but did I lock the doors? And then he's like, were you just wondering if you locked the doors? And she was like, yes. But somehow- I I thought that that like, in the episode, I thought that he like told her, and then the next episode, he's like, "I haven't told Tabitha yet," and I was like, "Like you did." Anyway, we get a really yeah. cool arc of Betty Archie Jughead being friends again, which is great because they have not been friends in a while, and they're all just doing their little superpower shit together, and it's so cute. Yeah. Betty and Archie both have like kryptonite, though. I mean, more Archie than Betty. Betty's just getting headaches. Yeah, <laughs> which honestly, I. I appreciate the representation of she the first scene before she like totally realizes what's going on she's just sitting in work and like I really also love Betty in this season because she's just getting more and more like her her entire vibe is just that she's exasperated with everything that's going on and so she's sitting there and she's like I've got this headache like behind my eyes and then one of her co-workers is like yeah that's a migraine <laughs> also Betty is like this whole season to counter this starts wearing like cute sunglasses all the time and it's it's great and then Archie's yeah. kryptonite is palladium which just makes him vulnerable it's kryptonite yeah it's very literally his kryptonite and you know I guess the counterbalance of Jughead's powers is that he uh can't hear anymore But anyway, oh, another thing that happens because of this little sunglasses moment that was something that needed to be addressed for a very long time is at one point, Betty comes home from work wearing like little heart-shaped sunglasses, you know, alluding to 
Lolita iconography, which was part of uh, Miss Grundy's iconography when she was a part of Archie's life. And Betty's like, hee hee, aren't these cute? Like I got them at a gas station because I got a blinding migraine in the middle of the day. And Archie's just like, no, like I need you to take those off right now. And she's kind of confused. And then he's like, they like remind me of Ms. Grundy. And it's interesting also because like, I think maybe he says like she wore those, but it would be interesting if he just said that and Betty just had to like extrapolate that like mess of pedophile iconography out of that sentence. But you know Archie doesn't she, know the reference. I know Archie doesn't know what he's saying. Yeah, that would be an amazing thing for Archie to say and for Betty to have to assume that he then like read Lolita, saw the 1990 version, 1990-something version, and then like Betty's like, you know, we didn't use this word at the time, but Miss Grundy like groomed you. And you know what? It's actually a really good scene where they finally address that like that wasn't a sexy fun thing. Yeah, like Ar Archie has this cathartic moment where he like goes and smashes a cello. And I feel like they did good revisionist history of their own show with it. Oh, yeah. Because especially, you know, thinking about Roberto Aguirre Sacasa now taking on the Pretty Little Liars universe, one of the many great proponents of sexy student-teacher relationship, no, there's nothing wrong with this, you don't understand, it's forbidden love. Yeah, now taking that on to finally be like, A, we're addressing the fact that student-teacher relationships are all kind of fucked up. Mm -hmm. And also that, like, Archie's allowed to have, like, even though he's, you know, a man who's been to war, you know, in the in the final episode, maybe, or one of the final episodes, they're like, he served two tours. And I'm like, please tell me what war they were fighting. <laughs> please tell me what war this is supposed to be. But anyway, this man who's been to war, who, like, you know what? It's very valid for him to get triggered by those heart-shaped sunglasses. Mm -hmm. And, like... I hate that even saying the word triggered sounds like a joke because like I'm not joking like he got upset when he saw them and like that is fair of him and like I like that they finally were like yeah like men can also be you know vulnerable to this kind of sexual abuse and traumatized about it years down the line and also like it's not like Archie's crying over it every day it also like seems like it came up in a very organic way in his relationship and like that felt realistic mm -hmm. yeah no I thought the way they like actually addressed that was good and again they haven't always been the best address uh, at addressing like sexual assault and abuse so I feel like they actually like thought that one through a bit which was nice yeah and just having it like it felt it felt like it was a real conversation between him and like his partner like that felt very real because also mm -hmm. yeah like Betty saw that happen kind of had a different framework and also like things seem different when you're younger like I watched Pretty Little Liars when I was like 12 and I was like "Ooh, this is sexy and then <laughs> I rewatched it uh the first time I got COVID this year <laughs> and I was like actually <laughs> this is really fucked up and like, it is just one of those things where when you're in the shoes of the younger person in the relationship, 
you are kind of positioned to also be manipulated by this character, you know? Mm -hmm. Because like it's an older character saying like, you're sexy and I don't just see you as a teen. Like I see you as a person who's just as smart and intelligent as my peers, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Other things that happened in in the early end of the season. So Abigail is in Cheryl for a bit. She tries to arsenic poison Jughead, Archie, and Betty. It is one of my favorite sitcom-esque moments in the whole show where Betty sees Cheryl's aura. So she's like, I'm not going to eat this scone because Cheryl's clearly out to like do something bad to me. She goes to find Archie. Arch- she's like, Betty goes to Archie and he's like, don't eat that. And Archie's like fully finished with it, crumbs on the table. And he's like, crumbs spewing out of his mouth. He's like, I already did. Don't eat that scone. I already did. What's the problem? I think she poisoned them. Okay, well, I'm invulnerable, remember? Okay, well, Jughead isn't. So get a glass of water and a salt shaker and meet me by the bathrooms, okay? And they run to get Jughead. Jughead, famously, always eating. Don't take another bite! Bathroom, now. Cheryl gave us poison scones? Yeah, we think so. Well, yes, I saw her aura, okay? So drink this and then throw up. Yeah. So he eats it, then Betty's like, drink a bunch of salt water and you'll vomit and it'll be fine. And it is, but like... It it was a perfect, like, it also was a perfect moment of, like, them remembering who Jughead's comic book character is. Like, I just, I did love that scene. They're having, like, Betty remember the plot line where, like, you know, her and Archie are involved. So she's like, no, my Archie. But then, like, having to be like, oh, wait, our friend Jughead, who is a food vacuum. (laughs) so funny but they do so Betty captures Cheryl and they do an exorcism on her that's crazy Betty delivers like a great little line you dare burn me again as many times as it takes bitch and then Marisa texted in a group chat with our parents about it oh yeah (laughs) they were exorcising Cheryl Oh God. Wow. I've had COVID for so long. No, I'm kidding. This was, this was the first time I had COVID. Betty's exercising Cheryl and she, it's Abigail Blossom though. And so Abigail Blossom's being burned at the stake in Cheryl's body. And she's like, you're going to burn me at the stake again. And then Betty like throws something onto the kindling or whatever and goes as many times as it takes, bitch. At this point in time, I'm watching it locked in, not the room I'm in right now, but my bedroom back in Claremont, which was in fact a hallway. I text that to a group chat of not our friends as I intended to, but our friends and all of our parents as well. Marisa texted, yes, Betty, as many times as it takes, bitch. LMAO, that was meant for Olivia. I'm watching the most recent episode of Riverdale in quarantine. (laughs) Sorry, you know what they say about COVID brain fog. I know this is something I have totally done under normal circumstances. Didn't mean to bring profanity into this family chat, to, but to be fair, it was Betty, not me. And then I texted incredible Mar, no apologies. And then Nell texted, good episode? Love My mom. sweetie. It is all family. We can handle it. 
I love that my mom was like, it's okay. Was it a good episode? And the answer is oh, yes. Yeah. Speaking of my parents, my dad was really mad. <laughs> he listened to the Purge episode and was felt really indignant that I didn't mention that he was the one who introduced me to Heather's. Wow. But wow. can I also say that he was the one who introduced me to Elliot Smith too? So, <laughs> so <laughs> both good. amazing pieces of media, it fucked up things to introduce a 14 year old to. That's so funny. Just kidding. I love you, Dad. <laughs> um, in the episode directly after Abigail getting exercise, we have another one of the most insane little jughead openings where he talks about how Archie is a folk hero. Inspiration. The people of the town, they need to be reminded of who they are, what their core values are. Archie, that hero needs to be you. What are you talking about? You're the closest thing we have to an authentic American folk hero who can rouse people towards good. Not everyone sees me in that light. And the whole plot of the episode is that Jughead is like, Archie, I'm obsessed with you. And the town also is obsessed with you. And Archie is like, no, most people hate me, Jug. Yeah, Archie's like, I think you're obsessed with me. And then Jughead, <laughs> a man with no money, commissions a statue of a, a shirtless Archie. <laughs> and they're like, we're going to put it up in the town square to replace the the Augustus Pickens statue and in general Archie loves to have a homoerotic fight with someone and oh, yeah he and K.O. Kelly from the now discontinued Katie Keene are set up to have a fight together to like prove that Archie is like really strong now but K.O. Kelly like walks into traffic basically he's manipulated by Percival Pickens because Percival Pickens has like mind control powers so then Percival Pickens and Archie are gonna have this fight over what statue goes up in the town but Percival Pickens put fucking palladium in his little boxing gloves so he beats the absolute shit out of Archie that's pretty yeah. much the whole episode and I was like Archie pull your shit where you're like bare knuckle boxing you know how he always did that with Hiram yes also like has have we ever seen besides in the prison Archie win a fight because like he really lost to Hiram a lot yeah <laughs> uh, back to Angels in America one of the episodes of all time yeah the episodes of all time so Tabitha yeah. and Jughead have been have been really trying to save Pops. Everyone's trying to get Pops down. So they're like, we got to make Pops a historical landmark. They start going through little things. And Jughead's like, oh, look, a green book that Pops was on. Then some dude comes to kill Tabitha. And that triggers her jumping through time. Yes. And... As she jumps through time, it's such an amazing episode. She jumps through time, goes back to all these different moments in history, and specifically in history of like racially tense moments in Riverdale, um, and kind of tracks where Pops was at all these different times. So she first jumps to 1944, and Riverdale is, and so crucially, 
in the way that Riverdale does, pretty much every character is consistently there. So she's interacting. It's kind of unclear who she is. It's kind of like she's just being brought into time and like it makes sense for her to be there and everyone adjusts to her being there. She's not necessarily like her own ancestor, but other people are. So like Archie's grandfather is there when she jumps back to 1944 and he's a hashtag ally. I did not fight in a war to defend this country, to come back to a town where people, any people, are not free and welcome to come and go as their God-given right. Thank you, Archie. It's Archie. Yeah, I mean, it just, like, truly, they're, like, tried to apologize for the fact that Archie was a fascist in season two by being, like, the Andrews have been white allies throughout history. So Um, in 1944... They're there, and Percival is like, Percival is also there throughout all of them, and so is Kevin. And in every decade, every alternate universe, Percival is evil and a cop. And this is one of Riverdale's, I think, most effective political stances, is they're finally, they're finally also kind of revising this thing they do in many of the first seasons, where the cop, the sheriff kind of represents this moral presence in the town and this, you know, respected presence. And they take it so that they're doing this thing where they've established Percival as like evil. And then they make sure to explicitly state that that evil is colonization. And not only is it colonization, but it's colonization that is continued through the police industrial complex in Riverdale and that these forces like the cops and the sheriff all the different iterations and the FBI yeah all these different iterations are all colonial forces very specifically and all just like motivated by exclusion and power and so kind of the first scenes you see are them trying to I mean it's just them trying to uphold segregation in Riverdale right Yeah, so in 1944, they're voting on if Riverdale should become a sundown town or not. And they, the vote, I can't, the vote is kind of unclear, but what does happen is uh, Tony, Fangs, and Baby Anthony, the 1944 versions of them, are on the run from a different town that did become a sundown town. And Tabitha is like, obviously I'm going to house you guys. So that is kind of the thing that happens in that universe. And then she gets killed in that universe or again, kind of shot at. And then she jumps to 1968 and it's the eve of Martin Luther King's death. So Martin Luther King has just been assassinated. They or He's about to be assassinated. And it's very upsetting because she knows exactly what's coming and no one else does. And it's so painful because she's talking to all these people in like the 60s who are clearly like oh we live in this white town called Riverdale like let's talk about our collective beacon of hope and she knows exactly what's about to happen and it's very sad and she like tries to stop it she has a guardian angel whose name is Raphael who exists out my brother leave it in this time because I think I maybe finally convinced him to listen to the podcast so here's an easter egg and a test to see if he really does listen to the podcast text me if you listen to it if you don't text me yeah I know we're not family anymore (laughs) so she has this angel Raphael he existed in Rivervale when they were first going against Louis Cipher the devil 
But in this episode, he's not appearing in his angel form. He's appearing as Jughead, Betty, and Tony, which is really cute. When he appears as Jughead, he becomes um, biblically accurate Jughead for a moment because (laughs) Tabitha is like, could you just like help me out a little bit and like stun the cops with your form? And they have a shot of like Kevin and Percival with their eyes like bleeding out. It's, I love biblically accurate Jughead. But so she, I think, does try to stop the assassination when whoever is her angel at the time is like, you honestly, it's like, that's a fixed point in time. I'm sorry. And so then she's like, we're going to hold a vigil once he is assassinated and like have a gathering. And Percival, as now a member of the FBI, is like, we're going to arrest you all for rioting. And then she calls J. Edgar Hoover and blackmails him with her information (laughs) from the future to get him fired. This is Miss Tate still holding for Director Hoover. And I'm just confirming you told Mr. Hoover that I know all about his secret files. Please hold. J. Edgar Hoover, director of the FBI. How'd you get his number? I called the main switchboard and I've been transferred like 10 times. This is Hoover, with whom am I speaking? Director Hoover, you don't know me, but I know you very well. For instance, I know that you keep secret illegal files on so-called threats to the American public. It's so good. She blackmails J. Edgar Hoover. I also, I mean, she just picks up the phone and just calls J. Edgar Hoover. It like you takes know. her a minute, but she's like, they're already listening to me anyway. And then she's like, get J. Edgar Hoover on the line. I know. I I love it. I love it. I mean, I also do love that she's like, I know exactly what my power is as a person from the future. Because, yeah, it's like she could have also like called Bill Clinton and been like, hey. <laughs> it's so good. And then she jumps to 1999 and has to find her talisman, which she thought was Pops. She like thought that was what her talisman was, but it turns out it's not. She needs the Holy Grail. The literal Holy Grail. Yeah. Oh, also one thing, she looks so fucking cute in 1999. She's got these little skinny braids. It's adorable. And like, I think they give her like eyeliner, you know, Mm -hmm. she looks amazing. And I do love that, like, as much as Riverdale in the present, they all, no one Riverdale in the present gets to be like grunge, you know, like they try Mm -hmm. to let Tony, but they don't even, they all have to be pretty like glossy and beautiful and mainstream beautiful uh but I do like when they do a flashback to like the 90s and they're like we'll let you tight line your eyes for once and now that they're letting KJ Appa grow out his hair a little bit like I like Archie with the longer hair it really works yeah but again not grunge he's so clean cut but like you're letting him do something a little bit which will end next season yeah I mean he shaved his head Mm mm-hmm but he'll have to have the Archie hair in the next season. Whatever. So, yeah, I know. What? Who knows? But they're able, so then Tabitha is able to get back to her time by drinking a milkshake out of, out the, of Holy the Holy Grail. Grail. <laughs> and then she gets back and she like knows she's going to be shot. So she just fucking whips something at her attacker and just like hits him. And it's so good. It's uh, hand-eye coordination. Incredible. 
Tabitha's our best character edition. I really love her. She's so good. And then, so she is like, okay, I can time travel. Let's get all of our fucking people who have superpowers together. Cheryl has also developed the ability to be pyrokinetic because she like accidentally killed a dude by setting him on fire. But you know, it happens. It's like literally not even important. Yeah, whatever. Then we get, again, kind of the most boring episode, The Fog. There's this fog that comes in everyone it's it's kind of it's like a fun setup for an episode because everyone's separated so you get all of these like conversations because there's nothing to do but kind of wait but there there's no really interesting resolutions like yeah, I wanted to break up I wanted it to be a better episode than it was but it wasn't yeah Betty and Archie think that Betty's pregnant she's not like there's just kind of nothing important happens and it's honestly kind of boring yeah Anyway, then finally they remember Veronica as a character and they say, babe, you have a superpower too. You are a Black Widow. You are literally killing men right after you sleep with them. Well, they do a fantastic episode called Ex Libris, which involves Percival being like, isn't he like, I'm going to shut down the library? Because he's the mayor? He's like, I'm in charge of hunting down these overdue library books that you guys <laughs> borrowed as children. Yeah. And so they assign every character a library book, which it's perfect. It's fucking amazing. They give Archie a superhero book, right? Mm-hmm. They give uh, Reggie a dyslexia workbook for children, which apparently he's kept for all these years because poor Reggie. Yeah, um, he has trouble. Yeah. I mean, it didn't even look like a super helpful workbook, <laughs> uh, but whatever. Uh, Veronica's is Kiss of the Spider Woman. Uh, Cheryl's is Flowers in the Attic, which, Cheryl, why are you obsessed with incest? It's weird, but I will say I did like the Flowers in the Attic reference of the arsenic like scones from earlier, but not enough for her book to be Flowers in the Attic. Like it was- yeah. I'm just like, you guys know what you're doing. Yeah, so why? And Jughead's in the most perfect twist is Metamorphosis. And I Uh, wish he had turned into a bug. I really wish they had committed harder. But basically, yeah, they all have these overdue library books. Percival's like, oh, I need something from you, like, as collateral but he uses these personal items they give him to curse them and basically give them a curse that is inspired by the book. So like Jughead starts to like, his skin starts to transform. They have one of the most effective body horror moments ever on Riverdale with like his foot and his toenails. It's very gross. And I think the most important, you know, basically all of this is resolved by the end of the episode. They find the books, return it, whatever. But the most enduring one, and I think, is it because Veronica doesn't find or return the book? It's kind of unclear. I think it's just, a in the same way the explosion is just the trigger for their superpowers, this just kind of becomes the trigger for Veronica's superpowers. But she becomes the spider woman. And basically that night after she's broken up with Reggie in the previous episode, uh, she has a little boy toy over and wakes up the next morning to find him dead in her bed. And so they take him to our favorite coroner, Dr. Colonel Jr. And he really makes it sound like she poisoned this man through his dick. Like, 
The toxicology report came back. And it was indeed black widow venom that stopped Geraldo's heart. A black widow spider doesn't typically have enough venom to kill a grown man. I have identified the spot where the venom entered the young man's body. Okay, and where is that? His lips. And and he's like, this is like an insane amount of Black Widows. Like, there's no way that this, like, happened naturally. Yeah. And then he's it's like, like there's all... yeah, he's like, there's all this Black Widow poison. And it's all centralized in one part of his body. And you're like, oh. and then he's like, his lips. <laughs> and we all were literally like, we were like, are they committing? Are they committing? Yeah. Also, Kevin had an overdue library book, which he returns, which was Lord of the Flies. And he talks about how he's picky because mm. they are like, we will connect with Kevin sometimes. And Kevin and Percival kiss, which is so funny. Yeah. Like they said, they said, Kevin, you are going to kiss the personification of evil. But yeah, so then Veronica is really figuring out being toxic. Yeah insert toxic here baby can't you see i'm calling a guy like you should wear a warning it's dangerous i'm falling and in a really fun moment she and Archie kiss because she's like i am toxic to everyone i just need to have like a moment that's for me and betty's like i have an idea for you She's so sexually frustrated. It's hilarious. Cheryl, what comes of Cheryl's situation with her book is that her, like, childhood girlfriend, it's very unclear who, like, what age Cheryl and Heather were, like, writing letters to each other or whatever, but Heather comes back, Cheryl's, like, childhood crush at the very least that her mom had, like, gotten her in trouble with, and is like, I'm a witch, you clearly have something going on, you're probably a witch also, and they have kind of like a fun casual romance where they're being witchy together. Yeah. Although I will say I hate the way they do Heather's hair. Like they have this weird thing they do where her hair is kind of like got this, you know, 1960s like puff, but then the front pieces are like flat against her forehead. And I think they must be extensions because it's not a natural hairline for her. Like it goes down too far onto her forehead. It doesn't weird. look also, good. Like a librarian. And so they're like really trying to make her like look like a librarian. And it's like, but let her be cute. Like it, it's fine. Yeah, they make her look frumpy and it's not nice. But yeah, Cheryl's having a little witchy romance. We're getting all these flashbacks uh, to Penelope when Cheryl and Jason were children, where they make Penelope look ridiculous and evil in a way that is so funny. They're doing like a mommy dearest thing that's yes. so hilarious. It's almost even like Matilda-esque. Mm -hmm. It's hilarious. Other fun little side plots that are going on at one point, because Jughead can read minds, he and Veronica do like a little magician plot where he's just kind of reading people's minds and she is like in her little magician's assistant outfit and he's in like a suit. You never get Jughead and Veronica doing something together. So this was genuinely very fun, even though, again, so little importance in the general yeah. state of things. I know they're just really redeeming Veronica for me this season. Oh, good. 
And then the main thing that's happening consistently throughout this season is that Archie is trying to, as always, is trying to bring Riverdale back. And one of the ways that he's trying to bring Riverdale back is by like having laborers value themselves in their work, working at Andrew's construction, things like that. I was going to say, it's also because Percival has announced that he needs to make a railway system in Riverdale. In the battle between good and evil, which we are promised all season, Percival is like, I am going to build a ghost train. Percival is a great villain because he tells you exactly what he's doing, but he's powerful enough that he can just do it, which is honestly a fun dynamic to have. Also because at first, all of our Riverdale main characters are like, we can't just kill him. That would make us as bad as him. And then they're all like, no, we should try killing him and just see what happens. So then they start just doing that. But so he's trying to build this ghost train. He convinces everyone to come work with him. He's using like mind control. So then Archie is like, you guys need to unionize. Like unions are important. You guys are being exploited. I'll put in the different things they say. They go really hard for labor. It's great. It's amazing. A conflict between good and evil or in this incarnation, between those who work and those who exploit workers. We'll do an episode breaking down like the labor politics and also there is something very important as I texted you the other day about the fact that this is all taking place over railway construction because it has a lot to do with this moment of industrialization in America that also coincided with like this exploitation of people of color but you know in a kind of moment where they're like oh people of color are getting paid for their work but like not fair wages at all so there's this kind of like threat economic threat of these people of color that were being exploited like being perceived as a threat even though they themselves were like absolutely suffering not flourishing in any way that could possibly threaten the power of white america but it's really interesting that riverdale's like we're going to dip into labor politics labor rights we're going to start talking about like what does a union mean what are the challenges of starting a union and i appreciate that they really don't like do it where it's a thing where like they sing their song and then they have a union and it's all good like they actually address the thing of like Archie's like it's really hard to ask these people to stay on strike because I know they need the money and Mm -hmm. like they're trying to balance the fact that like you know they might be able to have more fair working conditions in the long run if they hold out for this amount of time but it's also really hard to ask people to hold out for that amount of time while they're on strike. Yeah, no, I feel like they, it's, it's thoughtful. It's like weirdly thoughtful for what it is, but they do sing and they sing Red and Roses and they have baby Anthony there and it's, it's so good. And What the hell are you doing? Get back to work. You walk off this job site, that's it, you're done. So Archie, so again, they do have kind of consistent struggles with the union. And at one point, Archie 
in an episode called Biblical, they're getting all the plagues. Oh my God, it is a perfect episode. The union has agreed to stay on strike and they've agreed to not work. And they're like, we are suffering through the plagues. It's okay. But then they all get boils, which I agree. One of the worst plagues. Like, you I mean, with all the animals, I know death of the firstborn. But yeah, like, death of the firstborn is definitely it. the worst plague. Yeah, but I feel like boils is really up there. It's the one that freaks me out personally at Passover. Uh, <laughs> I like locusts. Locusts are fun. But so they're, all the plagues are coming down and they're like, we're dealing with it, it's fine. But then the boils come and Archie is like, okay, this is untenable. And he goes to Percival and he's like, I'll fucking work for you. Like, take the boils away from them. Because Archie's ultimately a good and kind person and he cares a lot. And and he loves to be a martyr. He loves to be a martyr. And at one point he is literally dragging a huge piece of wood and it very much looks like a cross. And I'm like, yes, Archie Jesus. Archie Jesus. Also Archie John Henry, the railway working man or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a lot, but it's great. <laughs> Other biblical things that are happening from here on out, the Bible is a consistent theme. Yeah. Uh, Betty is the harlot of Babylon. And I love it because she seems ex- like just annoyed by this. Like she's not, even when she's like, plagued by it and she's like really struggling with it you know morally she's irritated by it a man calling me the harlot of babylon i didn't understand it i still don't understand it but yours is the only war that i'm aware of currently so if you want riverdale's harlot on display i guess that would be me so put me in your stockade percival and basically it's established because tbk told her like you are the harlot of Babylon. And then she's like flipping through a book or something and sees this illustration of the harlot of Babylon. And then Tony and Fangs are like, well, I think we should still get married because if we don't get married, then the evil man who's sending down plagues wins. And Veronica plans their wedding for them. And she's so pissed about it. Yeah. She's so mad. She's like, oh, I'm a fucking party planner now. And she has her line where, of course, she goes, I used to be the she-wolf of Wall Street. And everyone's like, we get it, Veronica. You gave yourself a nickname. (laughs) And then at the rehearsal dinner, she sings Ladies Who Lunch from Company, which is a weird choice because it's about being alone and depressed. And everyone at the wedding looks so uncomfortable. Like she's really like pointing and yelling at them to like stand up and they're all like rolling their eyes and like- Yeah, no, she's like, she's like, this is a wonderful rehearsal dinner, but let me do a song for all the single ladies. But it's not an uplifting song. Like it's a sad song. She's like dragging herself across the stage. It's hilarious. And yeah, she's a terrible fucking party planner for that. It's also like the first time anyone has acted like that to someone singing. Like they all are like, we did not want this, which is, uh, it's good to react like that every once in a while to someone singing in Riverdale. Yeah, because usually they all act like it's totally normal for someone to put on a huge musical number in the middle of someone else's party. And I'm glad that for once they were like, no, Veronica, this isn't your moment. And here's to the girls who just watch, aren't they the best? When they get depressed, it's a bottle of scotch. Plus... (laughs) 
And then after the wedding, the final plague strikes, which is that death of the firstborn comes. So baby, everyone who doesn't have a sibling established is dying. So Archie, dead. Jughead, dead. Nana Rose, dead. Tony and Fangs, dead. The older twin, Dagwood, dead. Baby Anthony, he's immortal. So he's actually fine. (laughs) And they drop that so casually. And then also... Jughead right before he dies sees himself so we have two Jugheads in the bunker for a moment oh my god we we didn't even mention that Jughead has now been exiled to a bunker because he can read everyone's minds and it's very overwhelming after doing his magician shtick he gets kind of overwhelmed and he can hear too much so he has to go to the bunker to get away from everyone which is very similar to what happens in Rivervale where one where there are two jugheads in Rivervale and one of them gets ban- banished to power Rivervale with imagination also very similar and don't worry we will be having a full episode on this it will probably be the first episode where i'm carrying almost as much weight as Olivia because I'm finding the audio clips. (laughs) Anyway, we'll have an episode on the Buffy Riverdale parallels because in this season, as we will explain when we talk about the finale, just briefly, because got to save it up, but it's ridiculous. (laughs) Like it is insane. And one of the things that uh, resonated between Buffy and Riverdale here is that there is an episode where Buffy can also read minds And like, there are some shows where when they do the mind reading power, it's like elective, like you can like focus and read someone's mind. And sometimes Jughead does that when he's like trying to like dig into someone's mind in a way that's not just like the thoughts they're currently having. But like, they both do this thing where it's kind of the involuntary mind reading of just hearing people's thoughts as they're passing through their heads is like super overwhelming for the person, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. Yeah, I think it's like a good read on mind reading. Yeah. That it can be too much. Jughead, we'll talk more about this because it's important in the finale, but also they established that there are like mindscapes where you can like enter someone's mind and you see like the door they've set up for themselves. And then most people think in comics, according to Riverdale. And so maybe it's just that Jughead can read it most easily. Like I wondered if that was more Jughead's interpretation, but also I will say, um, I have a question for you. What do you think your mind door would look like? Oh my God, I don't know. Because I love that Jughead's mind door is so him, which is like a picture of Tabitha, a picture of him and Archie, a bunch of signs that say, keep out. Yeah, and then a sign that says, Percival, this means you. So funny. I think my mind door would be that little cartoon Abby James door that says sluts only. I think you're right. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) So all of the firstborns are dead. They establish it's not like in the world. It's like specifically at the wedding, which actually makes sense because then they can blame it on like gang warfare instead of just being like a ton of people died. I was like, Riverdale thought that one through. So anyway, the next episode, we get another Sabrina crossover. It's funny because it already happened in Rivervale, but they're doing it again in Riverdale. Yeah. And Sabrina makes everyone a witch. They have to initiate Tabitha veronica and betty into this coven that they're creating and their steps of becoming a witch are just like perfect it's like 
them dancing together what are some other things they do they have to like pledge themselves to Hecate yeah they have to like sign their name in a witchy book and then they're like little dance party yeah it's adorable and then Sabrina is like so when people die they go to the sweet hereafter which is basically heaven so she goes she's like if I have their bodies I'm like a necromancer so I can go and like talk to them and try to convince them to come back but they have she's like the way I do it they have to come back willingly so she goes and talks to Jughead in his heaven his heaven is the pop's chocolate shop from the Jughead paradox which makes perfect sense so he's like a famous comic book author also he knows what's going on which is kind of important so he like knows that he died his Mm -hmm. friends aren't necessarily there like Sabrina is like Tabitha misses you and he's like I miss her too I hope to see her at some point but he doesn't have like a fake Tabitha there which is not the case with other characters like other characters are living a life where they don't understand that like they're missing out from the living world but importantly yeah like Jughead seems very cognizant of what's happened and he's like I don't want to go back yeah he's like it's honestly perfect here which is fair yeah and also so Buffy yeah and again we have to save it all for our Buffy episode but yeah like I think that actually is a very valid thing that they bring up and is also something that they explore in Buffy but this thing of like they live in a horrifying traumatizing world and then Jughead is released into a world where he can do all his favorite things eat cheeseburgers draw comics not have responsibilities And then, you know, she comes and she's like, come back to the horrifying, traumatizing world. He's like, you know what? I'm having a nice time. And no. (laughs) And so then Sabrina is like, okay, that's chill. Could I like use your body though? Would that be fine with you? If I put my boyfriend's soul in your body for like a little bit? And Uh, like, apparently he says yes. So she comes back with Jughead and is like, oh, this isn't you are Jughead. This is my dead boyfriend. Tabitha, rightly pissed. Yeah, and poor Tabitha sees the reanimated body of her boyfriend who just died. And then Sabrina's like, you have to imagine, she's like petting his chest and she's like, no, this is my Nick. Like, <laughs> we're gonna go on a date now. Jughead. Oh my God, Jughead. I missed you so, so, so much. Thank God you're back. What is it? What's wrong? I'm not Jughead. Everyone, this is my boyfriend, Nick Scratch. And that's mean to Tabitha. You're telling this girl that you've resurrected her boyfriend's body, but that you're gonna go fuck it? That's mean. Also, this is a small town. So when, because Sabrina and Jughead's body go on a date. And I was like, I'm sure people around town are like, isn't that Tabitha's boyfriend? Yeah. (laughs) But so then Sabrina is like, okay, well, I tried. Doesn't feel like she tried that hard, but she's like, it'll mean more coming from you guys. So you guys have to go get your loved ones yourselves. We just have to temporarily kill you. And then you'll just go into the suite hereafter and like convince them to come back. It'll be super chill. But then they're like, asterisks, wait, I'm sorry. I'm getting a vibe from you, Betty. 
and her and like jug her boyfriend in jughead's body confer and then they're like sorry betty are you maybe like barred from heaven <laughs> and then she's like well i was recently marked as the harlot of babylon and they're like oh yeah 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 <laughs> they're like okay cool so like you can't go so can anyone else go get archie and then Veronica's like, I perchance have a connection with Archie. And I will say they've reinvigorated Veronica's lust for Archie at this point. I think since that kiss, honestly, just because she's so sexually frustrated mm-hmm. that like she's been asking Tabitha, like, yo, Tabitha, like you can see into the future. Is there any future where Archie and I end up instead of Archie and Betty? And I was like, whoa, I didn't even know this was like a conflict anymore. Like I thought we were all over it. Also, it's funny because in Archie's version of Heaven, he's with Betty. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I feel like he's chosen. Yeah. But also, so Archie is in Heaven with Betty. He, again, like, less, he doesn't know he died. Mm -hmm. I will also say that maybe has to do with, like, when they died. That's fair. You know. No, that's fair. And they have two kids, little, little Polly and little Fred, and when Archie eventually gets back and tells Betty this, she's like, we couldn't think of more creative names, which was a great right. But Veronica comes over to them and she's like, you have to come back. We have to fight in this war versus good versus evil. And Archie's like, no, honestly, no, thank you. And then Cheryl goes to try and get Tony and Fangs back. And for the five seconds that we are in Tony and Fangs' heaven, we understand that their son, baby Anthony, has grown up is gay and is in a Romeo and Juliet-like relationship with Twyla Twist's son, who's a ghoulie. And that's a gay ghoulie for life. Yeah. And it's perfect also because he's like, he looks so nervous. He's like, mom, dad, I have something to tell you. And I'm like, do you not know your parents at all? Because they're going to be thrilled by this news. And they are. Yeah. I also think that Cheryl does the best job of convincing someone to come back. And I think it does make sense because like Tony and Fangs are parents. And so they have like wants beyond themselves. But yeah, like for the rest of the characters, I'm kind of like, why would they want to come back from heaven? Like they've been living like this horrible, like very, you know, they're having to constantly try to figure out how to like fucking defeat evil and then and like dreading their inevitable death at the end of the season, but then they're released into heaven and they just get to live like their cute little lives. But like to Tony and Fang, she's like, no, like you have a real son in the real world. Yeah. And, and she's like, you're gonna let him be an orphan. Like I know you love your son. Yeah. And that's the most effective argument. Mm -hmm. But then they ultimately don't give them a choice and she uses her new phoenix power to bring them all back to life against their will, which is fine. They pretend it's consensual because at the end it's like them figuring out that maybe they're dead. But I'm like, Jughead very clearly said he did not want to come back and you guys didn't even try that hard. Yeah. Jughead literally was like, if I could get a DNR tattoo right now, I would. And then they're like, oop, we didn't hear you. And then it's fine. They have to fight. They have to return to fight in the war between good and evil. So after they discover Cheryl's Phoenix powers and bring everyone back, Jughead realizes that he has portal powers. Jughead realizes that he has portal powers that can help take him to and from Rivervale. 
and take other people. So they go to Rivervale and they talk to other Jugheads. So they talk to Bunker Jughead. That's when Bunker Jughead and Ethel are in a weird abusive relationship in the bunker and Ethel just like really lays into him. I just love, yeah, I love that it's not like, (laughs) it is like your worst fear. Like it's what it feels like going through a breakup and talking to your friends about it when she's like, you called your ex-girlfriend? That's why there are fissures in the universe. Like, I just love it that, like, that she frames it not as, like, oh, you called the alternate dimension. She's like, no, it's because she's your ex-girlfriend, and she's right. Like, And then I love that Tabitha and Jughead from the current timeline don't even address it. They're just like, that was awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're kind of figuring things out Tabitha's running scenarios they do this insane thing where they age up baby Anthony because he's a baby but they're like he's immortal so he could fight Percival and then Archie is like what are you thinking Tony simple we kick some ghouly ass the serpents and I break into the Babylonium with baby Anthony who Percival is terrified of we bust up his army I hear you but Tony, Anthony's a baby. Right now he is. He's a baby. <laughs> I do. I love they're like, well, obviously the only person that can beat Percival is baby Anthony, because he's immortal. And Archie's like, um, am I the only one that remembers that he's an infant? <laughs> and then Tabitha's like, I'll just age him up. Like, don't even worry about it. And then they do, and we get back gay 18-year-old Anthony, which is great. I don't really know how that works for him. Like, does, how does he know how to speak? Yeah, I know. Like, does he have all his memories? Like, I have a lot of questions, but that's fine. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kevin, Reggie, and Reggie's dad are all trapped at the Babylonium, and they're being threatened with guillotines, which is just funny because it's guillotines. And then they escape because Jughead is able to use his little portal powers, and they're all back at the house. Like, they really rallied the troops together, and then they get they're like we had a good day today honestly and then they get a group text from Percival (laughs) and and Cheryl goes a group text and it's not from moi what's this a group text and it's not from moi which implies to me that Cheryl is constantly sending them group texts and nobody responds they're like, we had a good day. Then they get this group text from Percival that's like, I just executed Alice, Frank, and Tom Keller, which is so funny of him. Like, with a guillotine. <laughs> and they really make it clear because they really, like, they don't show it, but they really talk a lot about how the heads are not attached. Yeah, they get the bodies back because they're like, oh, we'll just use Cheryl's power to resurrect them. And I don't know how they didn't think of this before because they're like, oh, the bodies have to be whole in order to resurrect them. You already know that they died by guillotine Mm -hmm. and then they're shocked when they get the bodies back and there's no head attached. And then, so they're kind of processing that. So this is the penultimate episode. Oh my God. Uh, Cheryl also decided to resurrect Polly, Jason, and the twins, the one that was dead. Yes. Just for fun. Yeah. And Polly- Here's a moment where you see Heather look at her like, oh shit, this has gone too far. 
And before Sabrina leaves, she's like, you should not try to cheat death like this. Like death will come for you. And Cheryl's like, LOL, I think it's fine. I'm a phoenix. What happens is they have to defeat Percival. And so the comet is coming and the comet is going to augment Percival's power. And they also realize that Pops was built on a hellmouth. They learned this from the devil himself. So Pops was built on a hellmouth. They're like, they used to build churches on hellmouths because that would like help keep the darkness away. And then Tabitha is like, oh, obviously Pops was a church and I was the guardian angel for it. I'm so stupid. Yeah. So they're like, we have to rebuild Pops again, even though we've like unbuilt it and rebuilt it like five times this season. Yeah. And so she like speeds up their labor and they do, I don't understand how they're not fucking exhausted at the end of this because they do like weeks worth of construction in like a couple hours mm-hmm. and like even though she set it up they still did it that's what I was thinking when Reggie's like oh even in hyperspeed moving still sucks and I'm like yeah but didn't it feel like real to you I don't know yeah. how time travel works yeah I'm a little bit confused by like the it, there's a lot of questions about kind of the logistics of Tabitha's abilities to me but that's fine but yeah. so anyway, at, at they for once in their life, it seems like they have the upper hand over Percival because they get to just beat the shit out of him for a while, which yeah. is great. Like they have like a metal baseball bat and they're like hitting him. Betty gets to punch him in the face. Veronica gets to punch him in the face. It's also amazing because he brings in like a ancient mace to fight Archie and Archie just has a baseball bat and I'm like yes Americana Archie absolutely go to town on him with this fucking baseball bat it's amazing yeah then basically they like lure him into Pops which they've reconstructed but Jughead puts a little portal at the door so it's actually the Pops in Rivervale because they learned that Percival couldn't be defeated in Riverdale, but he could in Rivervale. And they are like, they have dominoes out. They're like ready to play dominoes, but it's actually like, they're going to go into each other's minds. And Jughead says the best line that really establishes the stakes of this. I was thinking, let's play a game. Winner takes the soul of Riverdale. And the loser gets lobotomized. It's perfect. We see some of Jughead's core memories, which are Tabitha and Archie. Yep. That's it. Uh, But their plan works because while he's so distracted in Jughead's mind, they stab him with this dagger that is like he's not invulnerable to. And then Tabitha takes him back to 1580. Yeah. The devil can claim him. Is he's immortal, but I don't think he's invulnerable. He's, he's, he. He's invulnerable in the same way that like baby Anthony is invulnerable, which is like, Mm. he can't be killed, but he can still feel pain. Yeah. So they're basically- They have have these like special daggers that they can like get him with. Because he collects all these things that are like, that's how they got the Holy Grail too. He's like, cause he's immortal. He's been collecting all these like historical artifacts and also like specifically weapons, like cursed weapons and shit. But so finally, Percival's dead. They're like, we did it, yay! And then, because it's the penultimate episode, Cheryl sends a little group text that's like, come to my house, ASAP. Oh, we didn't even explain how they killed him. 
they went back in time to a time before he was immortal and then the devil shows up and then he's like wait but if it's a time before i was immortal that's like before i sold you my soul and shit and then the devil's like no actually uh the the fucking thing on your soul extends into the past and the future and then tabitha's like i don't know time paradoxes confuse me too (laughs) great line oh don't look at me i'm terrible with time paradoxes but maybe that's just how things roll in rivervale so then cheryl sends this group text she's like lol the comet is now heading towards us it's an extinction level event so then everyone's like well i guess we got to deal with that yeah as Lucia said it's made of ice they're like yeah made of ice so uh basically abigail blossom is like uh you can you know use your pyro whatever abilities but abigail blossom's also like i'll help you but in exchange i would like one more night with my beloved thomasina and so cheryl proposes to tony the most insane lesbian plan i've ever heard which is she sits her down she's like well okay you know how like we want to defeat percival and there's like a witch that's gonna help us basically she wants to fuck her girl one more time and tony's like what does this have to do with me and cheryl's like well they need bodies and so i propose that like we spend one more night together but it's not us it's actually abigail blossom and thomasina and then cheryl or tony very reasonably goes what what about heather and fangs and cheryl goes well heather's a witch so it's kind of she's whatevs but on it like it's not us like our souls will be elsewhere during the love making and says heather will keep our souls in a jar don't worry <laughs> it's, it's so funny. funny and then they like transform in their little old-timey outfits and then they have an honestly extended sex scene yeah, like maybe one of the more explicit lesbian sex scenes. When Cheryl goes to like tie her hair back, I was like, okay. Yeah, and then they're like ripping off each other's old timey corsets and shit. It's amazing. And then they wake up in their regular clothes and they're just like, hey. Hi. <laughs> it's so funny. And then Heather is like, okay, that was weird. I got to get out of here. I think Heather's very nice about it. She's like, unfortunately, I saw that you're actually, no, I, I take it back. Well, Heather's like, I could see that you guys are soulmates, and so I don't want to date you anymore. But poor Cheryl, because Cheryl was just trying to settle. Like, settling rights. (laughs) No settler rights, but (laughs) settling rights. Like, poor Cheryl, she's trying to get over Tony. Tony's clearly not available. Cheryl should be allowed to settle. (laughs) Also happening, so everyone is like, I guess we're going to die unless Cheryl, like, pulls this off. And... What's really fun about this is everyone deals with it in their own insane way. There's also, Percival put a curse on the town so that, like, no one can leave, but people can enter. So, like, Molly Ringwald shows up and Archie's like, oh, no. And Molly Ringwald is like, he doesn't want to tell her, really, which feels fair. Yeah. He's like, oh, Archie, like, I'm getting a divorce. And Archie's like, oh, no, I know how to fix this. I'll go get engaged to my girlfriend. And Betty is so (laughs) uncomfortable with it. Yeah, Betty's like, Archie, this clearly is not, Archie, please propose to me when it's not about your mom's divorce. Archie in Rivervale proposes to Betty because he's like, we have to get married because my dad, 
who's dead would want it and then in Riverdale he's like we have to get married because my mom's getting divorced and IDK how to deal with anything yeah the cutest couple Jughead and Tabitha Tabitha's like we have to watch Titanic because I love that movie and you've never I love that she's like you know what we may have a day left to live can we please just watch my favorite movie it was so genuinely sweet. Like, I really loved their little back and forth. Also, famously, film bro Jughead says that that movie is three hours, is four hours long. Yeah. But I like that Tabitha is like, uh, three hours and 14 minutes. Never seen the Titanic. What? I know. I know. I'm more partial to, like, early James Cameron. Jughead, you've got to be kidding. The Titanic is one of my favorite movies of, like, all time. We have to watch it. We have to yes. watch it. Yes. Isn't that like four hours long? Three hours and 14 minutes. (laughs) So she has the little VHS tape of it. I was like, you guys are made for each other. Yeah. And oh, one thing we're not mentioning is they're like, okay, Cheryl's gonna like melt the fucking thing. But the problem is that it might use up all her powers and that might kill the people that she resurrected. Which again is like Archie, Jughead, a bunch of people's parents. Pony things. Pony things. Dad yeah, so it's pretty bad but they kind of just like don't know what to do about that and then veronica is kind of just like having a moment her and reggie talk and reggie's kind of like would you ever want to get back together maybe and she's like no <laughs> and she really is like this is the first time I've ever been single and I feel like she's entering her lesbian era because she's like I just want to go on lots of dates yeah no she's great and like I do like that she's like yeah I've never really been single and also like Reggie I want to be your friend which I feel like makes sense because they're very much cut from the same cloth of their weird business dealings and stuff Mm. and like yeah it's very nice and then they have a very realistic moment where she's like so like I I just want to be your friend Reggie so you know like when the comet hits do you want to like come over and hang out and he's like and she's like as as friends as friends exactly. Reggie. <laughs> I'm down to be friends on the way Ronnie good cheers to that Reggie and if you want when it's comet time you can come over and we can watch the fireworks together. Sounds good. As yes, Reggie, as friends. Just second. He also has this great line earlier in the season where she's like, we should just run our casino like normally. Like we should be like above board with it. And he's like, no schemes, no scams. <laughs> That's his energy when she's like, we're watching it as friends. He's like, no schemes. <laughs> So that's what she's up to. And then she's also alone for a moment, like looking at a picture of Hiram that Reggie brought back for her. And she like kisses his cheek and kind of picture of Dorian Gray's it. Mm -hmm. And then she like has the realization that she previously has been used as a human dialysis machine. And she's like, I bet I can suck everyone's powers up. Okay. And this is the scene I'm going to make Olivia rewatch right now. And we'll probably put in some of this audio because it is some of the most insane like you know when a character is explaining their plan to all the other characters and like it makes no they're just making conjecture after conjecture Mm -hmm. it's so funny I love this scene for how many different leaps of logic Veronica makes 
and how like everyone else seems to be really not down with it until the last second. What if I can use my gift to absorb all of our abilities, our strengths, and give them to Cheryl to augment her Phoenix power? Again, the stronger she is, the less chance her powers will be used up and the less chance one or more of us will die. But V, our powers aren't poison or sepsis that need to be removed. It's semantics. Poison, strength, superpowers, whatever you want to call them. It's what you said, Tabitha. This is why I stayed in Riverdale so that I can do this right now at this exact moment. And maybe, maybe the multiverse gave each of us our specific powers so that they could come together, combine and save us. How would you absorb them? I would need access to where your powers are most potent and present. Your blood. Remember when we all went to see It at the Bijou? How the Losers Club cut their palms and all held hands in a circle? We need to do the same. Wound to wound, blood to blood. Anyway. <laughs> it's every step of it is crazy. And then Cheryl is like, I can't cut my beautiful alabaster skin. And Veronica's like, don't worry, we can just open mouth kiss instead, even though it's not been proven that she, like, she literally is like, we need blood for this. But then they're like, saliva probably works fine for us. No, because she does it for, she gives it to people via kiss, right? Like, she, Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So but like, if, she, if she poisons people via kiss, but she extracts things via liquid, blood, that sure. makes sense. But then Cheryl is like, I will be transferring our powers to you via a kiss. A, that's queer baiting, and B, won't your poison kiss kill me? A, it's not queer baiting, it's saving the world, and B, pretty sure your phoenix power trumps my poison it's power. It's so good. <laughs> There's another Veronica all-timer line. Like, that's, it's 2021, Chad. Yeah, and it also just is incredible because it's like, Veronica is just making every single leap of logic like she makes the leap of she can suck poison out of people so she can probably suck superpowers out too I I don't I'm not following but okay and then she's like also like we all will cut our hands and that's how I'll do it all at once and then she's like and I'll deliver it to Cheryl with a little kiss and then they really make out for a minute. And Cheryl honestly looks so pleased by it. Yeah. And I was like, Veronica loves a little queer bait kiss. And so does Archie. Because Archie and Reggie also, at one point, we skipped over this. At one point, Reggie, they don't kiss, but Archie has a very homoerotic fight with Reggie where Reggie is stabbing him a bunch. And yeah. I was like, Archie and Veronica are a power couple in that they love to have weird moments with their friends. Yeah, yeah. Um... But anyway, yeah, so she gives everyone, she gives Cheryl all of everyone's powers. And it's kind of crazy because it's like, oh, also at this point, Jughead has been cured of his deafness since he came back from the dead. We'll talk about it at a later date. But it's kind of crazy. She gives Cheryl everybody's powers. I don't know why in my mind when she first did this, I thought it was like gonna have to be happening like while Cheryl was like defeating the comet, but apparently she can just do it and it'll just stay. So she kisses Cheryl, Cheryl gets everyone's powers. They all uh, go to their respective little places and then Cheryl fucking melts that comet. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of Don't Look Up. 
I was thinking of that too, especially with like Polly, Archie and Betty, like their whole families are together, like watching it come. So it felt very much like the don't look at dinner scene. Yeah, which I, I feel like they were like something that will resonate with our viewers this year, perhaps, is being stuck at home while you wait for the world to end. Mm-hmm. And then we have Jughead's narration that is like... Somehow the year is 1955. And somehow Archie Andrews and all of his friends, me included, are teenagers again. And I'm the only one who remembers what our lives were like B.C before the comet it's amazing it cut like the comet melts huge flash the world is saved and then archie wakes up and he looks like high school archie and he's in his high school bedroom but something's a little off and it's all very 1950s per se and he looks and he sees Betty crying across the way, teenage Betty, 1950s teenage Betty. Then he goes downstairs, talks to his mom. She's like, oh, Archie, it's so awful. James Dean died. <gasps> and then we realize that it's 1955. And here's one thing I will take issue with right off the bat is they're saying like, we were catapulted back to a more innocent time. Was it a more innocent time? Yeah, I was thinking about that too. And I was like, I feel like the that's like a joke because it's going to be like, we're now doing this in the 50s. And it's also that yeah. thing of like in the 80s, how so much TV was set in the 50s and was like so clearly revisionist in what yeah. the 50s were actually like to make people feel better about this false nostalgia. But I also immediately was like, ooh, that's a, that could yeah. go rough. Yeah, no, I mean, we'll, we'll see how they handle it. And you know what, based on, it was so perfect because then it goes to Jughead, original Jughead crown beanie. Yes! Um, Sitting at a typewriter and he makes intense eye contact with the camera and he's like, and I'm the only one who remembers. And then new Riverdale logo. I was so excited about that. It is so cute. I'm I like actually screamed because it was great. And also I remembered, I was thinking about like the death of James Dean is like a significant moment in pop culture in the 1950s, but it's also significant in Riverdale because like one of the first things that Jughead talks about is Rebel Without a Cause. Oh. And so I was like, it's also related to that in that Rebel Without a Cause, I believe is the movie showing at the Bijou when it gets torn down in episode two. Yes, I think you're right. Or not the Bijou, at the drive-in. Yes. So I was like, center point. This is so good. And I'm so excited. And I'm just so excited for the next season, for them all to be wearing their little 50s outfits. I want to see what they do with this idea of the more innocent time of the 50s. I feel like they're really going Archie's Weird Fantasy. Like, I think they're really doing it. And I love, again, omniscient Jughead. It truly is omniscient Jughead sitting mm-hmm. there being like, I know all. I'm, I, you know, I kept saying like, this season is ending with the apocalypse. And, you know, they've been raising the stakes every season. How are they going to raise the stakes past the apocalypse? 
they didn't even need to raise the stakes. They just gave me the aesthetic dream that I didn't even know I wanted, you know? I am literally so excited. Like, yeah. Also, hopes for the future because Roberto Aguirre-Sacasas did an interview in which he said, we'll see a lot of familiar faces that we haven't seen back. And so I want Brett Weston Wallace back. Oh my God, especially now that we've established that Brett Easton Ellis also exists in this mm-hmm. world. I have so many more questions for Brett Weston Wallace now. Also, like, who's going to be in the 1950s? Like, is Tabitha there? Is Tony there? Is oh, Fangs there? Like, do these relationships exist? Like, I'm so excited to be in this, like, new version of it. Like, what? Yeah, because we've only seen Betty, Archie, and Jughead. It seems like they kind of rewinded to the early season setup of, like, Archie, Betty, unrequited romance thing. Like, Anyway, very curious, uh, very excited, completely awed again by the genius of the writers. Fucking love this show. Season six was so good. Season six was the best season to date for me, personally. It was so good. And like the stakes consistently made sense. I also feel like because they just, because of Rivervale being like, no one can die in Rivervale, also allowing no one to die in Riverdale meant that like you could really invest time in the things you cared about and even on this cliffhanger where a bunch of people died you're like they're not really dead and it opens up the world in a way that is so fun and it's just amazing and I'm glad that they have allowed me to re-fall in love with Veronica Mm mm-hmm She's great. And Cheryl too. Like Mm -hmm. they, they were so, and like Tabitha consistently have loved her and she was so great, but like the way they changed Veronica's character to make her into someone that we both were obsessed with. Yeah. What a fucking show. I love it so much. Bye. Bye.